Good morning. We are creatures of habit, aren't we? I was waiting for Orlando to say, Tim's going to come speak now. I'm like, do I get what do I, what do I do? Hey, glad that you're here this morning. Uh, if you're a guest of ours here in the auditorium, boy, we're, we're honored that you're with us today. Uh, our online audience, welcome again with us. If you're a guest online, man, thanks for checking us out this morning. Um, I'll say this, if you're, if you're online, you're missing some things this morning. I know it's a blessing, we're glad that you're here, but there is a vibe and there is a, uh, an energy that you miss on the couch. And I think there's a reason God wants us to be together on the Lord's Day. And there was a time when we kind of had to, had to do some things differently and we're still in that, that, uh, that situation, but I'm glad that we're kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I love uh, the smiles and the, the handshakes and the fist bumps that I get in the lobby. And uh, yeah, it's good to be together. Um, good to be back this morning. Boy, I missed being here last week. I want to thank Robbie for the lesson that he shared last week. If you missed that, if for some reason you didn't hear that, you need to go back and access that online. You will be blessed by what he had to share last week. We are jumping back into this sermon series that we started a few weeks ago, The Gospel According to Abraham. And I know that we could easily spend several months talking about the life of Abraham. Instead, we're going to spend a couple weeks talking about this giant of faith, and just look at how his story relates to our story. So much about Abraham that we can learn about God, and so much about Abraham really points to to Jesus and to us. And this morning, I want to share with you three places and three promises. I know I'm a three-point guy, and I'm like doubling down here. Don't panic. It's not going to be twice as long just twice as many points, I guess. But a real quick recap to catch us back up. You remember that Abraham was called by God to pick up and go. And so Abraham picked up and went. He didn't know exactly where he was supposed to go at the beginning, but he finally obeys God and he gets to where uh, God wants him to be, a place called Canaan. And God says, this is it. This is the place. This is where I want you to be. So Abraham pitched his tent, called on the name of the Lord, built an altar. So the first place that we see Abraham this morning is Canaan. And I know chronologically we're backing up a a couple steps from last week. We're picking up the story here with Abraham already in the promised land. And you all are aware, I'm sure, that all through Scripture, even in today, our, our spiritual language... We talk about Canaan, we talk about the promised land as being where God wants us to be, right? To Canaan's land, I'm on my way. Look what Genesis 12 says, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, talking about in Canaan. There was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. I don't want you to miss what we just learned in that one little verse. There is something going on. Abraham finally arrives where God wants him to be. He's finally there. And there's a famine in the land. In fact, there is a severe famine in the land. Now, Abraham's done what God asked him to do. He's left his home. He's traveled a long way. He's put behind him everything that was familiar, everything that was uh, normal. 
And he's arrived where God wants him to be, and there is a famine in the land. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Where did God want Abraham? Canaan. Where did God lead Abraham? Canaan. Where did Abraham go? Egypt. Yeah. Which leads to the second place. We're already in the second place. Abraham says, we can't stay in Canaan. There's a famine in Canaan. We can't live in Canaan. There's no food in Canaan. There's no water in Canaan. We're all going to die if we stay in Canaan. You know, when God talked about the promised land, this isn't the promise that I had in mind. And so Abraham decides to leave Canaan and go down to Egypt. And he's sort of reverting back to his control freak self here. And he decides this can't possibly be where God wants me to be. I've got to find someplace better. I've got to find someplace better than where God wants me to be. And Abraham starts listening to his fears rather than listening to the voice of God. Decides to trust in his own intelligence rather than trusting in the wisdom and the power of God. And Abraham makes a decision to go down to Egypt. And I am sure that it is a decision that involved a lot of thought. It wasn't a decision that involved a lot of faith. Abraham is going to let a problem get in the way of God's promise. Abraham decides, I don't think I'm supposed to be in Canaan right now. There's a famine here. And for Abraham, the problem got bigger than his God. Abraham started to define God by, by the size of the problem instead of just the other way around. You know, how, how often do we do that in a crisis, right? We see our problems getting bigger, and all at once, our God seems to be getting smaller. Instead of realizing as great, as big as God is, our problems get smaller and smaller. Now, I know you're aware, I'll say it anyway, that, that all through Scripture, especially in the prophets, Egypt is that place where um, God doesn't want his people. It's a place that's separated from God, a worldly place. The prophets are constantly saying, don't go to Egypt. Don't settle in Egypt. Don't depend on Egypt. Depend on your God. In Abraham's case, he's not only straying from the promised land, he's actually straying from uh, the truth. Notice what happens while Abraham is in Egypt. Chapter 12, verse 11 of Genesis. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants, and camels. Here's the reality. When you lose your faith, 
you lose your courage. Every time. When you lose your faith, you lose your courage. Abraham knew something about his wife. She was gorgeous. She turned heads. Which is fascinating to me because when this story is taking place, Sarah is at least 65 years old. Think about that. It's kind of awesome, right? Yeah. And now, a lot of us men can relate to that, right? I can relate to that. I'm not married to a 65-year-old woman. But a lot of us men, we have pretty much outkicked our coverage when it comes to our wives, right? People notice our wives, not so much us. And that's where Abraham is thinking. You know, Abraham's like, okay, you're going you're gonna to make a splash here. But Abraham loses his courage. He's already failed to trust God in the famine. What makes us think he's going to trust God with the Pharaoh? Abraham is not where he is supposed to be geographically. And he is not where he is supposed to be spiritually either. He's in Egypt. And he tells his wife, you tell them you're my sister. Now, some of you won't know this, but Abraham is actually sort of telling the truth. He's half right on that. Sarah and Abraham actually are half brother and sister. Read Genesis 20. They have the same father. They don't have the same mother. So when Abraham says, tell them you're my sister, he's actually, I guess, telling a half truth. But just like we looked at a couple weeks ago, Partial obedience is, is pretty much disobedience. A half-truth is pretty much a whole lie. It's kind of like the little boy whose mom caught him telling a lie one day, and she said, you know what the Bible says about lying? And he says, I do know what the Bible says about lying. She said, well, you tell me what the Bible says about lying. And he says, this is what the Bible says about lying. It is an abomination to the Lord and a very present help in time of need. So, kid, you know, it's just enough scripture to be dangerous, right? We do that all the time. We, we, you know, kind of pick and choose and put things together. Yeah. But I don't know if, if Abraham's trying to rationalize this thing. I, I don't know what his mind... Well, I, I think I do. He's worried about his own self. He's, he's worried about how he's going to be treated. And so he convinces his wife to tell this lie. He finds himself in this web of situation ethics. Now, how am I going to handle this situation? And his faithlessness not only puts his wife in danger, he's going to put the promise of God in danger. Remember, this whole promise that God has made Abraham hinges on one event. He and Sarah have to have a child. And now he has sent away that wife of promise. He has sent Sarah, his wife, to live with someone else, giving her up, basically. And by the way, I know what you're probably thinking. Well, Egypt was a place where Abraham acquired some things. You're right, he did. Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants, and camels. But you've got to wonder how much comfort all that stuff brought Abraham when he was sleeping in his tent alone night after night. Abraham is not where he is supposed to be. And he is not with who he is supposed to be with. 
And then, as Forrest Gump would say, God showed up. <laughs> Even in Egypt. Verse 17 of Genesis 12. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that now I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. God shows up in Egypt to take care of the mess. You know, I'm always a little bit... um, I guess I always kind of smile to myself when I hear people talk about the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. And they're so different. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, God was not a God of grace. Really? I always want to ask, have you read the Old Testament? You know, God wasn't in the redemption business until we get to the New Testament. Really? You know, read the story. All through Scripture, from beginning to end, Grace is like central to the story of God. Redemption is central. It is the, it is the, the gospel message. Old Testament as well as new. Uh, God has always dealt with his people on the basis of his love. Not on whether they deserved it or not. God was keeping his promise to Abram just to, to, to bless him in spite of his actions. Not because of his actions. But I don't want you to miss something really important in this narrative. In order for God's grace to be extended, Abraham's sin had to be exposed. In order for God's grace to be extended, Abraham's sin had to be exposed. Don't miss that in Abraham's story. Don't miss that in your story either. It's God's love that exposes our sinfulness when we find ourselves in Egypt. It's because of God's desire to redeem us, to bless us, that he demands that we acknowledge, that we confess, that we repent of our sin. Not so he can punish us. Not so he can put us in our place. So he can bless us. So he can keep his promises to us. Okay, we found Abraham in two places. He's been in the promised land, Canaan. He's been in Egypt. We're going to find him in one more place today. A little place called Bethel. Chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There, in Bethel, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Abraham seems to intentionally backtrack, to go back to the place where he had first called on God. He goes back to Bethel, a place where he could reconnect with God, a place where he could rededicate the promise, remember the promise, the place where he'd first built the altar. And by the way, I'm pretty sure Abraham learned his lesson. You read the rest of Abraham's story, and he's still going to make a lot of mistakes, 
but he will never again leave the promised land. For the rest of his life, Abraham is going to live where God wants him to live. For the rest of his life, he is going to live with an altar to the Lord nearby. Okay, I said we're going to look at three places and three promises. We looked at three places. How about the promises? Here's the first. Canaan always has challenges. Remember where this whole thing started? There was a famine in the land. Wait a minute. A famine in the promised land? I thought once you made it to the promised land, I thought once you were where God wanted you to be, everything would be easy. Everything would be simple. We wouldn't have any more problems. I thought following God meant that my problems wouldn't follow me. You hear that sometimes, right? You know, once, once you become a Christian, oh, life is so easy. Once you give your life to Jesus, you know, no more problems. I see a lot of Christians in this room. Anybody have problems? Yeah, I, st- I still have problems. In fact, in the New Testament, we're told you can expect problems. You're going to have problems. James says this, James chapter 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Abraham, we know him as the father of the faithful. Well, Abraham's faith was tested. It was tested through trials of many kinds. You know, I've said this before in this series. Abraham had no idea that he was one day going to be Abraham, right? He didn't know he was going to be called the father of the faithful. He didn't know he was going to have such a big part in God's book, in God's story. He's just a guy. He's just living his life. He's just trying to decide, what am I going to do with this God who has revealed himself to me? It takes time to build the kind of character in a man or a woman who comes to the conclusion, I'm not going to leave the promised land again. I'm not going to wander outside of where God wants me to be ever again. That kind of character is only forged in trials of many kinds. Canaan is not a land without challenges. It is a land where our challenges are met with the presence and the power of God. It's a place where we realize that God's power is much bigger than our promises. Here's the reality. It takes a lot of faith to get to Canaan, and it takes a lot of faith to stay in Canaan, because Egypt is always calling. It takes a lot of faith to become a Christian. It takes a lot of faith to stay a Christian, because Satan is always calling. Satan always wants us to leave. Canaan always has challenges. Second promise. Egypt always has disappointments. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you're my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Egypt always has disappointments. Egypt is always a trip that you will wish you hadn't made. Because Egypt, and of course I'm using Egypt to represent the world, It's never truthful 
about what it offers. You say, yeah, but, but look, what, uh, well, look what Abraham gained while he was in Egypt. He gained all this stuff while he was in Egypt. Yes, he did. But look at all Abraham lost while he was in Egypt. He lost his integrity. He lost his influence. He lost his peace of mind. He lost his closeness to God. And I don't know for a fact, but I'm just guessing those first couple nights with Sarah back in the tent weren't so great either. He paid a price for going to Egypt. In fact, Egypt was a trip that Abraham would pay for the rest of his life. We mentioned in the text that he gained men servants and maidservants while in Egypt. One of those maidservants was a woman by the name of Hagar. And we know how that story played out, right? Abraham would spend the rest of his life regretting that he'd made the trip to Egypt. Egypt seduces, but it never delivers. There will always be a promise of something better if you just leave Canaan. There's always the promise of something better if you just leave where God wants you to be. And here's the saddest thing about Egypt. We've all been there, right? Every single one of us could raise our hand and say, yeah, I made that trip. You know, it seemed like such a good idea at the time, but boy, it did not turn out like I thought it was. Yeah, I left where God wanted me to be, and I, I thought it was going to be so great, and looking back, what a mistake. What a price I paid. But of course, the good news is, God shows up even in Egypt. He doesn't want you to stay there, but he'll call you out of there. He wants you to be where he wants you to be. Canaan always has challenges. Egypt always has disappointments. Promise number three, Bethel always has room. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, where he first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Bethel always has room. Now, God loves you wherever you are. Whatever you have done, God loves you, but he doesn't want you to stay where you are. He is always calling you home. I heard a story about a, a young married couple who were going through some of the financial pressures that young married couples usually go through, and they finally decided one day that it was time for the husband to ask his boss for what amounted to a very well-deserved raise. And so he's leaving for work in the morning and talking about asking his boss for this raise, and his wife kisses him goodbye, and she promises to pray about the day and the conversation that he's going to have. He goes to work, he musters up his courage to go in and talk to his boss, he asks for a raise, and to his delight, he is granted a raise. He can't wait to get home and, and tell his wife. He goes home that evening, and he walks in the door, and he sees that the dining room has been decorated. The, their wedding gift of fine china is on the table. There are some candles burning there. He smells his favorite meal in the kitchen, and he thinks, well, somebody tipped her off. So he goes into the kitchen and he tells her he got the raise and they smile and laugh and hug and kiss and you know, they go back to the table and he sits down and there by his plate is a card on really fancy stationery. And he opens up the card and he's, the card says, congratulations on the raise, I knew you'd do it. All of this is to show you how much I love you. 
and they share this wonderful meal together, and they're just on cloud nine, you know, having this great meal and such a fun evening together. The wife gets up at the end of the meal. She's going to clear the table. As she gets up, another card falls out of her pocket, lands on the floor. He picks that card up and opens it up, and that card says, I'm sorry you didn't get the raise. You deserved it anyway. All of this is to show you how much I love you. The Bible says there is an altar. There is a place. It's called the cross of Jesus Christ. And no matter where you've been, and no matter what you've done, there's room for you there. On your best days, when everything goes just right, there's room for you at the cross. On your worst days, when nothing goes right, there is room at the cross. You can go, and you can expect grace. But here's the thing about God. If you want to go where God doesn't want you to be, He'll let you go. And if you want to live where God doesn't want you to live, He'll let you live there. But He will always welcome you back home. Now maybe this morning you need to come back to that place of grace. Listen to what the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 4. This high priest of ours, talking about Jesus, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he has faced all the same temptations we do, yet he did not sin. So, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it. Anybody here could use a little more grace this morning? And scripture tells us that God gives grace to the humble. And Scripture tells us when we approach God in the name of Jesus, seeking grace, the answer is yes. Canaan always has challenges. Egypt always has disappointments. Bethel always has room. There's room for you at the cross. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy. And we will find grace to help us when we need it. And we all need it. We've got a song that we're going to use as just a song of encouragement. I'm going to challenge you. Those of you that are online, you'll be leaving us, leaving us in just a few minutes. But there's a link there, a, a, a place where you can go and ask for prayers. Um, I challenge you to do that boldly. And for those of us in the auditorium this morning... I would challenge all of us to come boldly before the throne of God. To come to that place where God offers grace. If we can help you, if we can pray with you about anything, those in the auditorium this morning, there'll be some people at the front of the auditorium, and you can meet us there. Let's go ahead and be standing while we sing this song.